Good. How are you? Good. I got to put my screen like this, huh? Thanks, man. Um, how's my connection? You can hear me fine? Yeah, good, good, good. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. Thanks for answering my invitation. Yeah, no problem, man. Sorry for the cap. We're still in lockdown. Oh, you are? Okay. Is everything okay over there? Yeah, it's fine, man. Things are things are opened up. Good, good. Okay, are we ready to start? Yeah, for sure. Okay, so Jake, can you introduce yourself for the coaches in Taiwan? Yeah, so um, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I've been a strength and conditioning coach for like I don't know over a decade now. Um, I work a lot with basketball players. Is that your is that your market? A lot of basketball players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm, now I'm working with a pro basketball team right now. Okay. Yeah. So my interest is mainly basketball right now. I actually train a lot of hockey players, um, but I've just loved basketball my entire life. So um, a lot of my training has revolved around. Uh, vertical jump performance because basketball players like to be able to jump higher or dunk. Um, and then uh, knee pain. So like those are my specialties uh, over the last decade is I've, I've done a lot of work to understand vertical jump better and to understand the type of knee injuries that people have. So it's basically improving performance. Jumping, which is usually going to be uh, knee issues. Um, so that's really what I, I'm about, and I guess we're going to talk more about that as we get further. Okay. So I'm going to jump into the first question, okay? Yeah, sorry, you so cut off. What is it? I, so I, I'm going to jump into the first question, okay? Mm -hmm. Yeah, go so ahead. So I saw a lot of your post about vertical jump. Can you, like... Talk a, talk a little about how you train your athlete for their vertical jump and what is the difference between single leg jump and bilateral jump and how you're going to train those different types of jump. Yeah, okay. So um, the, the level of athlete matters the most in the first place. Uh, if they're like a very novice athlete, then – you shouldn't even focus on vertical jump. It doesn't matter. You know, like, like if you have, if you have like a, a, two, uh, a four year old kid, you shouldn't be worried about their performance in a sport of baseball. You should just let them, let them do things that human beings do, you know, play a bunch of different sports. Um, and, and just, just be a human being and explore different movement patterns, you know, um, maybe do some strength training here and there. So the thing is, man, if you got like high school kids, uh, who just want to want to jump higher and they're not that good of athletes in general like they can't sprint fast and they can't jump high and they can't throw very far they can't do anything very explosively um you don't need to focus on vertical jump training you just need to expose them to power something that is powerful and something that is forceful um maybe they have very bad conditioning so maybe you do things every single day to just basically um, Dr. Tommy John is one of, one of my friends. He says to level up the organism. So if you look at the human being as an organism, if you can jump 12 inches, you have a very weak organism and you need to level up your organism. And there are thousands of ways to level up your organism. You don't have to focus on vertical jump. So 
if that's the case with a young kid that's a novice, I wouldn't even focus on vertical jump. Just bring them in the weight room, expose them to expose them to jumping, expose them to sprinting, expose them to multiple sports, um, expose them to throwing. Uh, just do it day after day after day. And then as they get better generally as an athlete, then you could focus on vertical jump. So when you get to that point, you could focus on vertical jump. Um, it's, it can be very simple. It just takes a very long time. Um, but you have to... Uh, Weight training can be huge. Weight training can be huge to so like squatting, deadlifting, split squatting. It can be huge to give you the uh, forceful signal for your body, like for your nervous system, for your muscle and tendon, give you that forceful signal and give it to you day after day after day so you can get stronger and have more potential to be explosive. So weight training can help. But the first thing is jumping. You have to do a lot of max effort jumping. Um, so if an athlete wants to jump higher and they have a good foundation they need to do a lot of max effort jumping, that's going to come first. And if it's dunking basketballs that they want to do, then they need to go and dunk basketballs. They need to practice the actual skill. Um, so you have to revolve everything around the loads of the actual activity, which would be jumping as high as possible. Um, you could get that through weight training, something like French contrast. I don't know if you've seen like my vertical, my vertical jump uh, protocol is you, you do French contrast. So you, you do weight training with the jumping activities. Um, so you can pair both and those are those are probably the best way weight training with jumping activities do those day after day after day manage the volume maybe take rest days maybe train the upper body um but if you can progress those over time you're going to jump higher um and then the problem is though as you get to a higher level of performance with jumping your knees will start to hurt um your patellar tendons will hurt or your patellofemoral or if you're a young kid you might get osgood slaughter which is pain underneath like at the tibia um and that is such a pain dude it, it is very difficult when you get to that point when you get to it when you have start having a tendon injury you basically have to stop all of your training and uh, kind of start over um so that's where like isometrics i post a lot about isometrics you can do the isometrics to heal the tendon isometrics to load the area again and then get back into the slow weight training and then get back into jumping so it's kind of a weird process if you actually get to a good level of jumping that you do all the training to get to be a good jumper then you experience the tendon issue and then you have to take a huge step back and then rehab yourself and then you can be a good jumper again and then it might happen again and then so it just over and over and over and let me answer your next question about uh single leg and two leg jumping um if we talk about weight training because weight training is a huge piece for vertical jump development there is pretty much no difference you do not need to have any difference if you're training a single leg jumper or a two leg jumper in the weight room they can train the exact same so then really the only difference is the jumping is, is when they do the specific activity of jumping they can just do more single leg jumping than two leg jumping because, because it's more specific um but if you're training like a young kid, a lot of young kids, they only know how to jump off one leg. Um, we don't need to do anything special for them. And it would probably be better if they got good at one leg jumping and two leg jumping and jumping off the opposite leg. Um, it'd probably be good if they had a foundation of jump, uh, of jump approaches. But uh, yeah, dude, anyone who wants to jump higher, one leg or two legs, there's pretty much no difference. The training will be pretty much the same. And when they get out to dunk, if dunking is what they want to do, they're going to do their natural way of jumping, which will be one leg or two leg. And all of the weight training and all of the, the strength conditioning stuff will have prepared them for that. But it doesn't need to be specific. Because think of it this way. If you're training a sprinter to sprint faster, you're going to train him very similar to if you're training someone to jump higher. You're going yeah. to train them very similar. So it doesn't need to be – it doesn't – it, it doesn't need to be. It isn't. Um, 
that much different. It isn't that much different. It's always just going to be the specifics. And then if you have some type of injuries, like single leg jumping is quite a bit more demanding on like the tibialis anterior, um, the muscle in the front of the shin. But there's really not a good way to train that. You can do the, you can do the uh, tibialis raises with weight, but it's very low stimulus compared to the stress that you get in a single leg jump. So it's like you get, <laughs> dude, your body takes care of a lot of the adaptations you need by doing the actual activity, which would be single leg jumping. Okay, so do you do like testing, like test their like vertical jump? How high is it? And like, I mean, how long between the tests? How long? How um, are you yeah, saying the rest? Long, if you like do, how many weeks? Oh, are you saying like if I test my vertical jump now and then I train for a while, yeah. how long until I like to test it again? Oh, um, that would depend. I think. You could train it all the time. If vertical jump was your was the the thing that you want to measure, you could train it all the time. You could you could test it. Uh, you could test it. I mean, you could test it every day if you wanted. You know, you could test it all the time. It could be a way to to see if your training is working. I probably wouldn't test it every day because then you would start to get like you would have a bad day, and then people would start to get uh, doubtful that the training is working or something. Um, yeah. But you could you could train it all the time, and. Um, it might just take a long time. It might just be very slow. Uh, on my program, I have people test it twice a week. You test vertical jump twice a week for five weeks. And a lot of people would make huge gains right away. But I think it's because they come in with a good foundation of strength. They come in with a huge foundation of strength. And now they're going into testing more often. So it's like they never used to test. And now they're testing twice a week. And the vertical jump skyrockets three to four inches because they're just consistently doing the test. So they, get they probably just get better at the test. Um, but you can test it all the time. It doesn't really matter how often you test. Uh, it's, it's just uh, maybe depending on groups of teams you work with, it might take too long. Um, or if depending on what type of setup you have, it could also take too long to set it up. Um, but it could be, just be a good way. And you don't even have to do that. You could, you could do vertical jump testing. You could do like box jumps. You could do hurdle hops. You could do a, a variety of exercises to give you an, in different intention. And then maybe if, maybe if the vertical jump is your test, you just come back to it every few weeks. But uh, I have no, I don't really have a good answer, man. It, it depends on your situation. And often what I would say too is for basketball players, um, for, for basketball players, it's like they play so much. I don't know what it's like over there, but from my experience, they play, they play so much basketball all yeah. the time that they're so tired. Their legs are so, their legs are so tired. Their body is so tired that if you're going to try to get a vertical jump gain and, and track it over time, it's going to be very difficult to do. Um, yeah. Unless you can actually have like a month or two where the guys are not playing so much basketball and you can focus on vertical jump. But even then, what is kind of, what is the point? Because they're just going to go back to playing a ton of basketball anyways. So, and yeah. you know, um, and often what you get with basketball players is, is they're just taller guys. They have longer arms. So if they can dunk a basketball at their given height and wingspan, they're happy. They're happy enough. And they, they might not be that concerned about improving vertical jump. Um, I, I think for myself, I'm kind of in a different world because I don't play basketball and I just want to jump higher so I can keep my legs fresh and not play basketball three hours every single day. Yeah. Cool. So you mentioned the French contrast training, right? Yeah. So like what time of the year you're going to put it in your program? Like, is it like in, if you're training like basketball team, is it like preseason or like in season or like maybe it, the end of preseason? 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, depends on a lot of factors because you don't know what the head coach is doing, what they're doing on the court. Uh, but that would be something to use in the off season. Um, yeah, just use it in the off season. And, and the easiest way to do it, if you have a strength training session, if you're doing like uh, five sets of five back squat, say you're doing five sets of five back squat, um, and it's heavy, it's like 80% load. You could just do the French contrast with those five sets of five back squat. You know, do, do the heavy set of back squat. And if it is heavy enough, you're going to rest a lot. You're going to take a lot of rest, which would be three, four, five minutes of rest. Um, so do the heavy set of squats. Then you do the body weight jumps. Then you do the weighted jumps. Then you do the band assisted jumps. And then you could do a stretch. And then you could go back into the squats. So if you, if you wanted to improve vertical jump, that would be a simple way. Just add the French contrast in like that. Do, do the heavy, heavy five reps of squat. Or let's just say it would be three to five reps of everything because three to five reps is, is a good range for you to train with heavy weight to make you stronger. And three to five reps is a good way to train jumps without decreasing your performance too much. Because if you did 10 jumps in a row, your six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 jump, they would all be very low and you wouldn't be training your maximum, your, near your maximum vertical jump anymore. Um, so that's, that's the simplest way. And I would, I, I would just say off season. And, and off season, you're usually gonna be training strength anyways to get the guys stronger. So if they're not doing a lot of jumping, you can do that. If they are doing a lot of jumping, I wouldn't add in more jumping. I think adding in more, more jumping might be, might be worse for them if they're doing too much already. But the thing is with basketball players, they're not jumping as high as they possibly can when they're playing yes. for three hours. They're often just jumping like to shoot the ball, which would be a few inches, um, or they're jumping for a rebound, which is not straight up and down as high as they possibly can. They're not getting that many maximal effort jumps. So you could actually do it for basketball players, even if, even if they are jumping a lot. You just got to watch the way that they're playing and see what's going on. Um, because also, it, is, it does beat up the knees a lot to do change of direction. And basketball players yeah. are doing a lot of change of direction. So you, gotta, you kind of have to manage for that. But um, yeah, French contrast, I would, say, I would say then, is off-season. Because once basketball players – I've worked at college, and when you get to college, it's like when the preseason comes, that's when they start ramping up the, the court time. So it's like uh, 10 hours a week or 12 hours a week or something like that, and the coaches really want to use all the time they can on the court. And the athletes are coming in the weight room uh, fatigued and exhausted. And you can't do French contrast when you're fatigued and exhausted. You can only do it when you're fresh, or you should only do it when you're, when you're pretty fresh. So, um, yeah, off-season. Off-season is probably the best time to do French contrast. Cool. So there's another thing I saw a lot you did on your you post on your Instagram is like hill elevated workout. Yeah. So why hill elevated, and what? Yeah. Why and what is the benefit for me? Yeah. Um, so you put your heels up. Uh, if you're doing a squat, this would pretty much only be when you're doing a squat pattern. You put the heels up. You put the heels up, the pelvis, your hips can shoot straight down because a lot of people will squat by just bending over. Um, so if you elevate the heels, you can coach them to squat directly down. And then the knees are forced to come more forward. The knees have to go kind of – the knees probably go past the toes a little bit. And when the knees are going past the toes, it's more stressful on the quadriceps, the quad muscles. Um, because it's, it's more demanding on knee extension because you're, you're, going, you're going further away from knee extension, going into deep knee flexion, uh, and then you have to reverse it, which means the quadriceps have to work very hard. So if you, if you, if you do heels elevated, it's a way to strengthen the quadriceps more. Um, but it might depend on the athlete. And actually, here's what I'd say. is As I've seen, um, man, I have not seen that many athletes. You have athletes who are hip-dominant, Sorry, you have athletes who are hip dominant and knee dominant, and most athletes are hip dominant. I've seen very few who are knee dominant, where like they squat down 
and their knees shoot forward and they don't use their hips much. There's not many athletes that do that. Um, so you would have to look at that. If you had an athlete who is knee dominant already and they, their knees shoot very far forward when they squat, you, should, you don't have to do heels elevated. That's already what they're getting. So don't do heels elevated. But if you have someone who squats and they just, they just bend over at the hips and it looks like a deadlift or it looks like a good morning, that's where you could put the heels elevated and you could tell them to sit straight down and then you could strengthen the quadriceps, um, strengthen quadriceps more. So that's one thing you could do for uh, why I would do heels elevated is just to strengthen the quadriceps more. And you could also, you don't even have to do heels. Well, heels elevated easy way, especially with basketball players, they get very uh, stiff ankles, but it's not a bad thing. They, they need to have stiff ankles because they're jumping so much and they're sprinting so much and they're changing direction. Yeah. So their, their ankles can get, get very stiff, but it's good for their sport. So when, when they have those stiff ankles and they come in the weight room, their squat pattern can just look bad. It can look very bad because their ankles are stiff. And then a coach might think it's, they need to stretch their ankles or something like that. Uh, maybe, maybe they don't need to. You could just do heels elevated. Just do heels elevated. Their squat will clean up. Um, and maybe we don't worry about their ankles like that. You would worry about the ankles if they had an ankle sprain, a lot of ankle sprains in the past, and now they can't move that ankle properly. That's where you might start to worry about it, and you might want to start to develop some, some uh, normal function back in the foot. Uh, but otherwise, I wouldn't worry about it. And uh, he, you could also do it, like heels elevated, you could do it by doing, if you do a back squat, it's usually going to be more uh, hip-dominant squat. If you do a front squat, it'll be more knee-dominant. If you do a zerchi squat, it'll be more knee-dominant. That's usually how it goes. Although people can still compensate and, and they can turn a front squat into a hip <laughs> squat if they just bend over or exert by just bending over. Um, and you just got to look at what, what the athlete is kind of, is kind of lacking and then give them what they're missing. And most athletes are missing the knee extension demand. So if you go heels elevated, push the knees a bit fo more forward, they get stronger quadriceps. So, but I, I don't like, I don't really saw a lot of like bilateral squat when you do like heel elevated most of the pose is like single leg right for me yeah in terms of uh in terms of the lifting exercises that i'm doing or what i mean the hill oh the heel elevated yeah you're saying, heel, okay yeah. when i do okay so you're talking about something a little different you're talking about uh the, the isometric lunge is that it the iso lunge yeah, yeah, yeah. Heels elevated. yeah so the iso lunge and you can do the iso lunge like you just get into a lunge position and you hold it um, you could do that body weight to just try to go as long as you can, or you could do it weighted. Um, and if on the front foot, if you just bring the heel up um, and go on the forefoot, don't go on the toes. You, you don't really want to go on the toes because that's kind of a weak position because you have arches of the feet and the arches of the feet exist with the first, the first and the fifth metatarsal head and then the heel. And if you go on the toes, you're not on the arches. If you go on the toes, you're just on the toes and you're not using the arches. And you yeah. pretty much always want to use the arches as an athlete. So it's like if you go too far on the toes, now you're, now you're going away from the arches. And that's not a very strong position. So what I, would, what I would do is come up, bring the heel up, but go on the first and the fifth metatarsal head. You're basically standing on that. Um, and what that does when you do the isometric lunge is it just works the calf more. You know, it just works the calf and the Achilles a little bit more. It works the soleus muscle because the soleus, the, ca the gastroc uh, can't do a whole lot when the knee is bent. So the soleus has to take over. So it's a way to train the soleus and, and especially basketball players with knee pain. Um, it can be a good thing because their soleus, 
their, their calf muscles can start to shut down when they get knee pain, just like the quadriceps can start to shut down. So if they have knee pain, like patellar tendon pain, if they get in an isometric lunge, there's a lot of other benefits. But one of the benefits is that you can train the calf muscle. You can train the soleus muscle, um, like get your brain connected with the soleus muscle again. So that's where I would go heels elevated, uh, bring, just bring the toes up. You can work the soleus a little bit more. But it's not saying you, you have to. You can also do flat foot. It doesn't really matter. Um, I think the, the big thing that matters if you're doing the isometric lunge and doing it body weight is that you just go as long as you possibly can until you fail. And it gives your body a big, a big stimulus to like restructure your tissues, um, a big stimulus. It's, it's a very stressful thing, but you actually don't get that sore from it. It's not that, de it's not that uh, demanding like the day later. You can do it all the time. So it's like um, that's where I, <laughs> the heels elevated doesn't matter a whole lot there, um, but you could do it if you wanted. Cool. So – for like isometric training and you mentioned like isometric lunge do you like load it do i load isometric lunge yes so here's the thing is there's kind of two different kinds you can do it you can do it where you just go uh well there's actually three different kinds um so let's start with the first kind. The first kind, you just go body weight and you go as long as you possibly can. And what that does is it builds strength endurance. It builds endurance in your legs. Uh, some people suck at endurance. So it's a good way to build strength endurance with, within the legs. Uh, there are other benefits, but let's just talk about that. Strength endurance, work capacity, um, just general, general health of your legs, general conditioning and health of your legs. If you do the isometric lunge body weight as long as you possibly can. And if you can do that for three minutes straight, with, it, with a good position where the front knee is 90 degrees, if you can go for three minutes straight, you're probably in a pretty good spot. If you go for one minute, you probably you suck and you need to work on it better because you, it's, a, it's just not good. And I would say that for most people. There are people out there who can't do it uh, for even 30 seconds, and they're, they're some of the best athletes in the world. You know? But that's, that's, that's a different breed. You know? Most people are not like that. So you can go body weight as long as you possibly can, strength endurance. You can hold weight in your hands. And what I would say – if you're doing it for tendon health, because you can do it for your tendons, but if you want to hit your tendons, you have to use a weight that's as heavy as possible for 30 to 45 seconds, because that's when the tendon can start to actually relax and you can get some different effects within um, the, the damaged tendon. You can get it to repair a little bit. Um, so I would hold as heavy a possible weight as you can and hold for 30 to 45 seconds. Um, and then the, and that's mainly for like tendon health. Uh, you can build some muscle with that, I guess, too, because it's, it's within 30 to 45 seconds is about that time frame. If you were doing a set of exercises, that would be like a muscle building area of like sets of eight, 10, 12, that would be around that, that time frame. So a good way to build muscle too. And then the last way you can do overcoming where you're pulling against something that you can't even move. And, um, I would do that more for like pre-workout, like before the lift, like post-activation potentiation. That's that's what they would call it is you pull as hard as you can for like five seconds, um, against like a barbell in a split squat lunge position, pull as hard as you can and then rest. And that's a good way to like wake up your nervous system, wake up in quotations, wake up your nervous system, make you feel a little bit more ready to train. Um, so those are pretty much, I think those are pretty much the three ways. There is another way where you could get into the isometric lunge and then forcefully pull your legs together and then stop the thing, stop the exercise when you stop, lo start losing the sensation. Um, so that's like a 30, 20, 30 second hold. I don't really do that one too much. So it's like, yeah, those, I, I really just use those three, those three ways where you just get into the position, hold as long as you possibly can or get into the position, hold for 30, 45 seconds, and that's going to be for tendon health as heavy as you possibly can. And then the other way is just do it for like three to five seconds, pull as hard as you can, and that's more for like pre-workout, getting your nervous system ready to train. So you mentioned like 
you can put like isometric training like all year round, right? Yeah. So including in season, let's say if they ask, let's say if the basketball player like have knee pain, probably like after the game, and what kind of isometric training would you put? Like body weight, or like you're gonna put some weight on it? Uh, okay. So yeah, if they, uh, if a basketball player and they have knee pain, and and the the biggest problem with knee pain, um, and this is what this is what I I always I get pretty much every single day is people ask me about patellar tendon pain, and they tell me they're not getting better, and the isometrics are not helping. So I I always will say you have to make sure that it's a patellar tendon pain because often it's not patellar tendon, and it's usually patellofemoral pain. Patellar tendon pain is going to hurt right on the tendon, and it's going, it's not, it's going to hurt. It's going to warm up with activity. It's going to hurt more the next day or the next the 48 hours after. Um, the, there's a lot of different signs, and it's going, it might hurt when you're sitting in a car. It might just um, – it's just kind of weird like that. Patellofemoral pain is pain just generally around the knee. Um, and that's what most people have. Most people have patellofemoral pain. Um, unless you're a very good athlete and you can jump very high, you're going to have patellofemoral pain. So it's general pain around the knee. It kind of jumps around the knee. Um, weird things hurt it, like, like deep squats could hurt it. Um, hold, isometrics can actually hurt it. So if you're, if you're giving an athlete isometrics and their knee pain gets worse, that's how you know it's not a tendon issue. It, shouldn't, it is not going to be a tendon issue if they have more knee pain after an isometric. Um, and I, I, I was just working with a... Uh, an athlete who had, she was told it's patellar tendon pain. The pain is right on the tendon, right on the location of the patellar tendon. Um, we did a set of Spanish squats and the knee pain is way worse. So I'm like, this is not a patellar tendon. This is patellofemoral pain. So then we worked on all these other activities um, to work on more biomechanics, like stuff for the calf and the hamstring, just kind of things to not really work the knee directly like that. Um, but calf, hamstring, um, ankle work because she had sprained her ankles a lot in the past. So like single leg standing for like five minutes, we, we would do that totally do that every single day. Um, but you get, we got it feeling a bit better within the session and it's like, you got to make sure that it's a, it's actually a patellar tendon issue. So what I would suggest to get back to your question of if, it, if it's after the game, the athletes are uh, usually sore. Um, they're not usually not, you're usually not going to be that sore right after the game. Um, because you have, there was a, there was a research paper. I forget what it was titled. I was reading it. It was very, con oh, it was talking about tendon pain. Like what is causing the pain? What is the cause of the pain? And it's connection with the brain, the brain and the tendon are connected. And there's something, the, the brain pain always exists in the brain, but they were talking about different effects with the tendon. And there were many of them, but one of them, one of them was the warm up effect, how the tendons, as you get warm, the tendon pain goes away. And then it, after like an hour or two of you being warm, the tendon pain will be worse. So you shouldn't have an athlete who gets pain right away after the game. If they do, it might, it might be something else. I would, I would make sure it's something else. But you could still do isometrics because it might help them decrease pain the following day. It might decrease stiffness the following day to get rid of um, all this buildup of cross links in there. Um, so you could do – I would do a leg extension. I would always go to the leg extension if they have a patellar tendon issue. Um, after the game, they could sit on the leg extension, do three to five sets, 30 to 45 seconds, as heavy as they can. Um, or they could do a Spanish squat. Uh, those are probably the best exercises. Uh, if you don't have, I mean, you could have, you would have access to that. You, if you have access to a weight room, you do a leg extension. If you don't just carry a band around with you and do a Spanish squat. 
Um, the, the problem with the isometric lunge for trying to hit the patellar tendon is that there's way too many other influences because there's balance influencing it. There's ankle influencing it. Your hip might get tired. All these other areas might get tired before your quadricep and your patellar tendon get tired. Um, so doing the leg extension isolates it and doing the Spanish squat isolates it. So those are the exercises I would do after a game, but I don't think a patellar tendon athlete would have a lot of pain just following the game. They probably would feel pretty good and then the pain would be worse the next day. So you do the isometrics to hopefully decrease pain the following day. Good. So how about there's like, there's like posted on, there's some like training, like they put isometric training and maximal jump together for like post-activation potentiation. What are, what are your thoughts about this kind of training? Yeah, like, okay. Max so, ISO and max plyo. Yeah. Um, okay, you don't have to. Nobody has to do it that way. Um, that's just one way to do it. Uh, and I, I do it. Um, I do it in vertical jump protocol just for like the warm-up, you know, because you can do anything in the world for a warm-up. Like, you know, we hate on people that do ladder drills or something. Like, there's, there's all these like smarter smarter instagram people who say this drill is stupid this drill is stupid and i i i i'm the same i talk about snap downs i think snap downs are stupid but guess what you could use snap downs for a warm-up because you can do anything in the world you want to warm an athlete up you know just get their blood moving get get uh, get their heart rate up get their body temperature up anything in the world works for a warm-up so but what i would say for that is if you want to do jump testing if you want to do jumping as high as you can all you need to do is warm up and jump as high as you can. If you want to get a little bit more training within there or get a little bit more warm up, you could pair it with the um, post-activation potentiation, the isometric pull, but that would be like three to five seconds, pull as hard as you can, and that would be it. Um, and then go back and forth, maybe take a little bit of rest between them. But it's just a way to warm up. And, and, and really, there's nothing special about post-activation potentiation. It's just warming you up. That's all it is. You warm yourself up. Uh, there was a there's a podcast joel smith had a podcast one guy was like if post-activation potentiation was so powerful then why are there not squat racks at all the track and field meets why is everyone not doing a heavy squat before their 100 meter sprint you know they're not so it's like the body knows the body can figure it out and the best way to warm up is do the actual activity so i i talk about post-activation potentiation it, it can be useful it can be a, a new stimulus so it can be a new thing for your body if you're not used to it and that's kind of why i did it because any if anything that's novel to, to your system can give you new gains can make give you new progress so uh that's kind of why i do it but you don't have to do it if you want to do post-activation potentiation go ahead but there's nothing magical about it. It's really just it's really just warming you up, and it's a different way to warm you up. So, basically, what I'm just saying is, like, if you want, if I want my athlete to like jump higher, just warm them up and like train them with more maximal jump, right? Yeah, that'd be it. That'd be it. And the more advanced the athlete is, the higher that they jump, the longer they're going to take to get to that point. So, if you have an athlete who jumps ten inches. They don't need to warm up at all, pretty much. They could step in the gym and do a, do a jump as high as they can, and then you could warm them up for 10 minutes, and they're going to jump lower because their, their output is so low. They don't need to warm up. But if you're an athlete that jumps 40 inches, they'll walk in the gym, and they'll probably jump 25 inches, and then you do a 10-minute warm-up, and then they're to 40 inches. So it's like the level of athlete also matters. Like young kids, they don't need to warm up before they reach their max output. Uh, better athletes who are like the fastest in the world or most explosive, they take a lot longer to warm up to reach their max outputs. And you know what? The, the, when you get to that point of those people that jump like 40 inches or something, 
it more becomes less on you as a coach and more on them as an athlete of like, what yeah. do they want to do to warm up? How do they feel best to warm up? So that's where you kind of leave it on them and you just kind of monitor how things are going. But at the same time, you also might have athletes who are really just not in tune with their bodies, who know nothing about their bodies and they just have a crazy output. So they might just want you as a coach to run them through a, a basic warm up. So it's, it's always, it's always a little bit individual, but having that, distinction in your brain of the less the less good jumper you are the less warm-up you need you know and the better jumper you are the more warm-up you need but the warm-up is specific to the activity and it usually should just be jumping jumping variations getting into the flow of jumping over and over because dude you got to get you got to do the specific activity because there's a coordination aspect to it and you need to get warmed up in the coordination if you just did post-activation potentiation your coordination would be terrible you'd go into the jump yeah. and it would look awful yeah. so it's like do the just warm up, do the specific activity, and the athletes are going to be good to go. Cool. So that will be my last question. I know you got a, like online training program for vertic vertical jump, right? Yep. And I, I think there's going to be a lot of coaches or a lot of athletes in Taiwan who are interested in this. Can you talk about this? And maybe there's a future, maybe a future program you're going to launch. Can you talk about these? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, I have three programs. One is for muscle building. So if you have an athlete who needs for athletes, muscle building for athletes, hypertrophy clusters, actually, you know what I would say? A lot of basketball athletes, they jump a lot. They get a lot of explosive training and they just don't lift weights. You probably have the same thing in, in your country is like, yeah, yeah. Lifting is just not big. So it's like, you don't, man, they, they're doing so much jumping and explosive training already that they might just need, like, what are they missing? What is their body missing? And often their body's missing the heavy loads, the heavy loads of, of weight training. And if they can build their muscle to be stronger, their body will now have more potential to jump higher. So uh, what I recommend, man, for a lot of athletes is like, get on more lifting focus. So don't even do vertical jump protocol, do the hypertrophy cluster protocol. Or I even have my website, one by 20, one side of 20. That's even an easy way for athletes to jump, to get into lifting. And if they do that, they'll probably jump higher. If they really, if they really are weak, and they do that, they're probably going to jump higher afterwards. So that's what it is. Vertical jump protocol is more for like athletes who are, who are decently strong or a little bit more advanced and they can buy that. They can, they can do that to jump higher. And then I have a knee pain program, jumpers knee protocol. What I'm, what I'm working on is an update for, for the vertical jump protocol. And that's going to be done in like two weeks. So it'll just be vertical jump protocol 1.2 or 2.0 or whatever I decide to call it. Uh, because I'm, I'm going to just explain better about vertical jump because the, the program was good. It was good in explaining what goes behind good vertical jump training, which kind of starts with the physics, not, not a little bit about the physics, but here's how you need to start is start as objective as possible. Start with physics and physics determines what vertical jumping is, like how you can leave the earth based on gravity based. And then it's based on your physiology. How does your physiology deal with the physics? So at, if you can be a coach that understands the physics and the physiology, then you can make a vertical jump training program and you can reduce injuries because you understand how gravity is hurting, hurting our bodies when we jump and land, um, how we adapt to everything. And that's the type of education I'm going to put in vertical jump protocol in the next two weeks. And then the training program, there will be a training program, but you'll be smart enough to know how to do a training program because you understand what goes behind vertical jump training. Um, but uh, yeah, that's what I have out there. Cool, man. So is it, is like, people crazy about vertical jump in in the state or like uh, uh it, it yeah. depends on what group you're around because um i just love dunking man i love dunking basketballs and there's there's kind of a community around dunking basketballs who's and then there's a lot of kids who are behind it as well but it depends with basketball because some basketball guys in the game they just don't care you know 
And it doesn't vertical jump doesn't matter too much. Like you can be a very skilled yeah. basketball player and not jump high. Yeah. You know? Like um like there are just there are a lot of good basketball players who are not that explosive. Yeah. They're just very they're just they're just very good at moving. They have they have really long yeah. arms. Um everything is built for them to be a good basketball player. Because dude, primarily you gotta put the ball in the hoop. You gotta put the ball in the hoop and prevent the other team from throwing the ball in the hoop. And sometimes Vertical jumping can help, but sometimes it will not, and you need to focus on other things. So uh, it depends on what group you're in. And myself, I'm in the dunk, the dunking world. I look at all these guys who are professional dunkers, and for them, a vertical jump is everything. But if you get to a basketball player, it might be like one out of ten of them actually care about vertical jump, and the other ones just want to play basketball. Yeah, because there's like I ask it, I ask this because I work with a pro basketball team, and I used to work with. High school basketball team or junior high school, like every athlete, I ask them what is the main thing they want to like progress. The the first thing you will say like vertical jump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not just not just like basketball team. Maybe like athletes with badminton, like badminton athletes and table, even table tennis. They want to jump higher, man. Really. And like every coach in Taiwan, they want to know how to let their athlete jump higher. Really? Yeah. That's that is weird. That's crazy. <laughs> It's so weird. Uh, yeah, but but, but, but the, the thing is, the yeah. thing is, man, a lot of those athletes, if they if they, dude, jumping higher is a product of just being a better athlete. You know, yeah. if you become a better athlete, just physically become a physically better athlete, you'll jump higher. So it's yeah. like if you have to train these athletes. Just do the basic stuff that you know across the board with every single athlete, and they're probably going to jump higher. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm just saying that, like, there's a coach who launched like who launched a like a, a education to teach the coaches how to train the athlete to jump higher. It's like a blast. <laughs> yeah. So popular. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, let me know when the program you launch. Okay, I'll yeah, it for yeah. you. Okay. Yeah, for sure, man. Thanks. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Take Thank care. You. Take care. See you. Okay, that's all for today. I'm gonna put this on Instagram later, maybe next week, and you can follow my Instagram on the bio.